Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the science of success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than 3 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we ask why you don't follow through on the things that are most important to you. How can someone facing down near death fail to follow essential health protocols? What causes people to self-sabotage? Why is it so hard to follow up and follow through on your goals. We share the important lesson that it's not about more information. It's about finding the right pattern of behaviors and habits to match with your desired goal and building a scientifically validated process to make sure you actually achieve them. We discuss this and much more with our guest, Dr. Sean Young. Do you need more time, time for work, time for thinking and reading, Time for the people in your life? Time to accomplish your goals? This was the number one problem our listeners outlined, and we created a new video guide that you can get completely for free when you sign up and join our email list. It's called How You Can Create Time for the Things That Really Matter in Life. You can get it completely for free when you sign up and join the email list at successpodcast.com. You're also going to get exclusive content that's only available to our email subscribers. We recently pre-released an episode and an interview to our email subscribers a week before it went live to our broader audience. And that had tremendous implications because there was a limited offer in there with only 50 available spots that got eaten up by the people who were on the email list first. With that same interview, we also offered an exclusive opportunity for people on our email list to engage one-on-one for over an hour with one of our guests in a live exclusive interview just for email subscribers. There's some amazing stuff that's available only to email subscribers that's only going on if you subscribe and sign up to the email list. You can do that by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. Or if you're driving around right now, if you're out and about and you're on the go, 
and you don't have time, just text the word SMARTER to the number 44222. That's S-M-A-R-T-E-R to the number 44222. Our previous episode was a bit different than a normal episode of Science of Success. We shared the incredible real-life story of the epic quest to see how the world's most successful people launched their careers, including a wild journey of hacking the prices right, meeting Bill Gates and Lady Gaga, and an epic five-year quest to study and learn from the world's top achievers. This is a topic I've dedicated my life to, and this fascinating discussion with our previous guest, Alex Benayan, shines some new light on one of the most important questions of our lives. What was the inflection point that set massively successful people's lives on a different trajectory? If you want to discover what set the world's top achievers on their own unique and different paths, listen to our previous episode. Now, for our interview with Sean. Today, we have another exciting guest on the show, Dr. Sean Young. Sean is the executive director of the University of California Institute for Prediction Technology. He's previously worked with companies such as NASA and has spoken in forums such as the European Parliament. He's the author of the number one Wall Street Journal bestseller, Stick With It, a scientifically proven process for changing your life for good. And his work has been featured across the globe. Sean, welcome to the Science of Success. Thanks for having me, Matt. Well, we're really excited to have you on the show today. To start out, I'd really love to dig into this fascinating idea that you talk about, which is that personal change in our current society, we often think about people's inability to change as a problem of willpower or a problem with the individual. But you say that that may not be the case. Yeah, there are a lot of misconceptions we have about change and how people, how we ourselves or others can stick with things that we want to do. And that's really what got me interested in this area and and ultimately writing stick with it. There were a number of personal and professional things going on in my life back, I guess it's about 15 years ago now. I was a graduate student at Stanford studying psychology. I was working at NASA Ames and in startups and, and I was a musician. I have a music background. And there were a number of things going on that got me to question, why don't people stick with things that we want to do? Um, Ultimately, one of the most important of those issues was something very personal to me related to my family. I'm really close with my family. I'm I'm extremely close with my brother. And my brother has something called Crohn's disease, an intestinal disease. And he and I were in a band. I was up at grad school at Stanford. The band came up. We played a show. He, after the show, couldn't go back home to Southern California with the rest of the bandmates. He was in too much pain. So I brought him to the emergency room and it turns out that his intestines had burst. He was, they said he was minutes away from dying. He almost died. And then he was, afterward, he was in the hospital there at Stanford for about two or three weeks recovering. They told him he's going to have to take daily medication. He was going to have to do other things to change his life. My mother and I who were there were really pushing you got to reduce stress and meditate and eat better and exercise and all these things, which he said he would do 100%. And ultimately, he did not end up doing those things. And it really got me questioning. I mean, first, it it made me angry. It made me frustrated. I was so scared because I had been right next to him when he almost died. And now he wasn't following through with these recommendations that he said he would do, that he 
knew were good for him. And why, why was he not doing these things? I initially was studying thinking, you know, is it something wrong with him? But over time, from studying this, from applying the research that I did in psychology, from applying it with technologies like we've done, and, and over 15 years or so of time of studying and talking to experts, and I found that so many people, you know, really all of us, have this same issue where there are things that all of us in our lives or in our work say that we're going to do or want to do, but don't follow through. And we're often, we typically are taught to put blame on ourselves or on others for not following through with those things. So we're told, you know, if you want to be able to be more successful at work, just be like someone else who's more successful. You know, we have examples of, you know, Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs in tech, just become like them and, and read a book or, or become the way they are, have the same routine that they do. In medicine, I'm, I'm a professor in family medicine at UCLA. I'll talk with doctors who will say, I prescribe medication to my patients. They didn't take it. What's wrong with them? So we're taught to become like someone else or put the blame on ourselves or others if we don't follow through. But what I've learned through this research over, you know, over a number of years is that it's not about changing the person, it's just about changing the process. And so all of that led to, through the course of my own study and research doing this at UCLA as a professor and overseeing the Center for Digital Behavior and Institute for Prediction Technology, we've studied this research in our own work with patients with in public health. I consult on the side and have done it with consulting with companies and startups, and even have applied this science that I've learned to my own life. And so ultimately, stick with it was my attempt to, when people ask me these questions of what is the science behind how to stick with things, I took research from, you know, old classic research from psychology and distilled that as well as cutting edge research from our own group and others into packageable new material of how do we use the science of sticking with things. So why is it that we don't follow through on the things that often matter most to us? There are a number of reasons. You know, one of them, we are taught to assume that people who don't stick with are just not educated enough. So that's that's one thing we're taught. We're told if you don't exercise, if you don't if you don't sell enough products, whatever it is, you just don't have enough information is what we're told. That's actually not really true. You know, we in public health research, we know with smoking, you can tell someone, you can hit them over the head, tell them not to smoke and why they shouldn't, but they just keep doing it. So education is not the reason why we don't. It's it's not lack of money. We're we're taught that if you just pump money into something. And if you advertise, advertise the hell out of it, and then people will keep buying it. That's not true. We've learned, you know, what it really comes down to is that there are three different types of behaviors, uh, what I call A, B, and C behaviors, or what stands for automatic burning and common behaviors. And I can get into this in a minute later on. But not all behaviors are the same. We can't just you know, a lot of people talk about habits, just build habits. And if you build good habits, you'll be able to do whatever you want in your life. Well, habits are only, you know, a small part of the behaviors we do in our lives. Habits are unconscious things that we do. 
And there's a science behind how you build habits and stick with habits. But what about the rest of all the different types of behaviors we do? Well, there are three different types of behaviors and there's a science and specific tools for how we change and stick with those behaviors. And so that's, people are not incorporating that science of the, of what I call the ABCs of behavior. And those, there are seven tools for how we change those ABCs. It's a really interesting conclusion that not all behaviors are created equal and not all habits solve each kind of behavior. It's intuitive if we think about so many other things, but we don't think about that in terms of psychology, you know, and we, we're all aware of physical forces in our lives. You know, even if we haven't taken a physics class, we know that, that there are physical forces moving on an object. So an airplane, we have to be aware of winds on an airplane and how it affects the winds and things like that to fly it safely. The aerospace engineers who make it, the pilots, the Everyone who's a part of it has to be aware of those physical forces that move objects, but there are actually physical forces or there are behavioral forces that move people in certain ways too. And we need to be aware of those behavioral forces. And there are seven of them that I talk about and stick with it. And what it means is that, you know, just like if you're using a toolkit and and you can't use a screwdriver, let's say to, to hammer something down, there are specific tools, behavioral tools that we can use for changing different types of behaviors because you know they're not all the same. So before we get into the different toolkits and how we should apply them to each of those behaviors, which I think is a, a great insight and a really thoughtful way of approaching this problem, I, I want to dig a little bit deeper into each of these, as you call them, ABCs of behavior. So let's start with the A, the automatic behaviors. Tell me what, what exactly are automatic behaviors and how, how do we notice or discover them in our lives? Yeah, automatic behaviors are things that, like the name, we do automatically. We're not even aware that we're doing them. So, you know, let's say you and I are talking and you're, I think, are you a New Yorker? You look like you're on the East Coast, right? Uh, I'm in Nashville, but I used to live in New York. You used to be in New York. Okay. Well, so New Yorkers are, my family's from New York, and New Yorkers are often loud and talkative and interrupt each other all the time. So if I was interrupting you while you're talking, probably something that I'm doing, and I'm not even aware that I'm doing, it's just, let's say, something I was brought up or, or got used to doing. That's something that happens automatically. It's an automatic behavior. And automatic behaviors are, because they're done automatically, there's a certain way and certain tools that you use for changing automatic behaviors. B behaviors are burning behaviors. These are things where you're aware of what you're doing, but you feel like you can't stop yourself. So when you wake up in the morning, I mean, I don't know about you, but probably the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I lean over and grab my phone and I'll maybe I'll check email or or check what time it is or whatever it is. I can stop myself from doing it, but it's pretty difficult. It's just become, you know, I wouldn't call it a habit because it's not completely automatic, but it's difficult to do it. We're conscious of what we want to do, but it feels like we can't stop. And addictions or, or the way we typically people talk about addictions, not from a clinical perspective, but when we typically talk about addictions, we're talking about burning behaviors. So, so things like just having to play video games, having to check your phone, having to check a text message, those are burning behaviors. And because we're aware of those, there's a different 
you know, slightly different set of tools for changing B behaviors than A behaviors. Last, C behaviors are common behaviors. These are called that because it's actually the most common of all behaviors. Most things that we want to change are C or common behaviors. Common behaviors where we're aware of what we're doing. We just often can't stick with it because other things come up. You know, let's say I want to be able to get more work done today. I was talking to someone yesterday. He called me and he was coming actually from a real estate investor background and he wanted to be able to be more efficient with his work. How does he avoid distractions that are coming up? So often if we're working and our friends call us and say, hey, let's go out to dinner or, or some other distraction comes, we, we just put our work aside and, and say, I'll get back to it later. That's a C behavior. It's often due to motivation or other types of distractions. And there's a different set of tools or forces used for changing C behaviors than B or A. And you can, you know, you can understand when people often say, right now there's this big emphasis on changing habits. Well, if you want to get yourself to go for a run every day, that's never going to be an automatic habit. You're never just going to put on your running shoes, go run, you know, go run around for a half hour, come back and not even realize that you did it. That's never going to happen. It's a C. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Behavior, because we're at least a lot of the time that we go for a run, we're going to be aware of what we're doing. And so we need different tools for getting ourselves to do that. So are common behaviors positive goals, things we're aspiring towards, or are they negative things we're trying to avoid, or can they be both of those? It can be both. You know, you can imagine a common behavior could be, I want to, like in the example I just gave, this person wanted, he's a real estate investor, I want to be more efficient with my time, I want to avoid distractions and focus more. Those could be flipped around either way. It could be, how do I avoid distractions and remove distractions? Or how do I train myself to focus more? Same thing. I want to be able to run more or I want to stop eating junk food. And so we have all these different buckets of behavior, 
And there's also a toolkit that you've not necessarily developed, but sort of brought to light and, and done some research around as well that you talk about the seven forces of behavior change that we can use to bring to bear on each of these different behaviors. Tell me a little bit about that. So A, B, and C is I, I came up with that just based on seeing behaviors aren't all the same. The seven forces or tools for changing them, those are well-documented throughout psychological research that there are you know, a lot of different things that we can do to, to change people's behavior. And, and so I put these together in a framework called science, where each one of the letters of the word science represents a different one of these seven tools. And it's, it's so the acronym science, I didn't call it science because you have to be a scientist or you have to be a doctor or anything. It's just so that we remember these are rooted like this podcast where you want to emphasis on science. These are rooted in decades of scientific research as well as in more cutting edge research. So, so we can get into each one individually, but the S stands for stepladders, C for community, I for important, E for easy, N for what I call neurohacks. The next C stands for captivating, and the last E stands for ingrained. Maybe a good starting point is to, to talk about stepladders. That one is first, and it's also the, the simplest, you know, not necessarily the easiest to implement, but it's, it's the simplest idea and it's just the idea of let's do things in small steps. If you want to get yourself or get others to continue doing things, then doing them in small incremental steps is helpful. But what is a small incremental step? How do we know what that actually is? You know, I had, there was a person I ran into, I was at the market and this, this guy was just, he wanted to, to run a marathon. He was telling me a story. And he said he had been trained in army intelligence. So he was at the the language Institute in Monterey, really smart guy trained in Arabic language in, at the Institute. He, in high school, he was a cross country runner, ran, you know, 10 miles easily in, in high school, studied at the language Institute, went off to the military, served our country in Afghanistan in army intelligence, came back after after service and decides I'm going to run a marathon. And I mean, if, if there's anyone who can, who can run a marathon, it, it would be, it would be this person. He was, like I said, he had the, the training from run. He knew how to run from high school, from running cross country. He was smart. He was motivated. I mean, he, he had routines down the military trained him. So he's, he's already, and you know, you ask, someone and they would say, yes, I'd put my, my chips on this guy that he's going to be able to run this marathon. But he tells me he, he gets to mile 19 and then he just collapses and he didn't make it. And, you know, and he said, you know, I didn't finish the marathon. I'm probably not going to run another one in the future. This was not a good experience. So what was it that didn't allow him to finish the marathon? Well, it turns out it's, it's pretty simple. He didn't train for the marathon. So he had all this he had everything that we would say you need in terms of your personality, but he didn't implement this process. He came back and just thought, I can run a marathon, but he didn't gradually build up and regain his training. So he really impressive, actually, that he got to mile 19, but he couldn't finish it. And when, you know, that story is really intuitive, I can we say, well, yeah, obviously you should train for a marathon, but so many of us 
make those same mistakes in our own life. And we don't do things that we don't plan things in small steps in our own lives. You know, we may plan to, to work and, and sell a bunch of products and, and I'm going to make a lot of money or I'm going to be extremely health, you know, healthy or I'm going to exercise every day this year. But this past year leading up to it, I exercised once a month. That's not realistic. And so we need to plan things in small steps. But how do you know what small is? It's different to different people. What's a small step? In Stick With It, I created a figure called Steps, Goals, and Dreams. And in that figure, I quantify what a small step is, what a goal, and what a dream is. So a dream is something that takes three months or more. So for me, running a marathon would be a dream. You know, I It's not that I can't do it, but I definitely would need to train for it. A goal is something that takes about a month to three months. And then a step is something that takes a week or less. So a step you could do today. If I've never run before, getting a pair of running shoes is is a step. Just something that's very concrete and actionable. Oftentimes when I work with people on this, the first step that I do is I'll have them create a calendar. And with that calendar, we will document for each day what are you planning on doing? And that helps break things out into steps, goals, and dreams for them. So that's the idea of of step ladders. And then there are six other tools or forces that can be integrated. And, And in general, the more of them that you use, the more likely you are to stick with things. But there is a figure in, in Stick With It, which will say which ones are most important for A behaviors, B behaviors, and C behaviors. I think it's so important to break your goals down into these small actionable steps. And I really like the idea of the framework of kind of looking at it from a week or less, one to three months, and over three months. That's a really clear distinction that helps break down okay, how much activity am I going to have to do and how long are these activities going to take to accomplish and making it easier to, to which is another one of the, the steps in the framework, obviously, to, to really start creating progress. Yeah, and, and easy is another really key. Easy is one that is, is key across all three of them. And with, with easy, it's, it's also another one that's simple to understand, but pretty difficult to implement. You know, I had with easy, here's an example in my own life. So I work at UCLA and I used to go to the gym on campus, the wooden gym center there. I care about health. I was pretty dedicated. I would go every day. But at a certain point, I stopped going to the gym as frequently. I I just didn't go as often. And if you talk to, if, if, you know, I'm a data person, if someone was, let's say, looking at, at, tracking my my steps, tracking my activity, and they would have seen that I stopped going, maybe they'd make some some attributions or judgments about me. Maybe they'd say, oh, he just got lazy, his work increased, you know, he's he's older now, he's he's too tired to go to the gym. You know, people could come up with all kinds of reasons. But what it ultimately came down to was I used to work close to that gym on campus and switch to where my office is now on, it's called Wilshire in, in Westwood. And it's about a mile south of, of that area on campus. So now I would have to walk up there. It's hard to drive. It's hard to get up there. And it was just much more difficult for me to get up to that gym and, and keep working out there. So what I did, I changed gyms. 
And so now I, when I go to work, I carry my gym bag with me and I, I uh, switch to a gym that's right across the street from my work. So on the way to the parking lot, to my car, I have my gym bag on me and I have to walk past my gym. And it's almost makes it that it's more difficult to just keep walking than it is to, you know, hang a right into the door and, and go to my gym. And that's the way we can leverage easy to get ourselves to keep doing things. And I know snacking is another really good example. You know, I, I, my own personal experience, if I don't have snacks in the house, I'll still kind of do the ritual of going and looking around in the pantry and rooting around to see if there's anything to eat. And then I just will walk back upstairs with nothing. But if I have snacks, I'll do the same thing and I'll eat them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's something that, that definitely comes up a lot. And I'll tell people, get, they'll say, I'm eating chocolate late night. And so one of the things we, we do is let's clear your place of chocolate so that doesn't mean you're not going to get it, but you'd have to go to the store, let's say late at night to go get your chocolate. And then you're probably not going to do that. You know, it's, I think religion, I find religion pretty interesting because religions have been around for such a long time. And it's, it's a good example of how we stick with things. You know, religion, a lot of religions are really good at implementing these things intuitively. And for certain religions where there's where people will go on fasts or there's certain foods that they're not supposed to eat, that's exactly what they do. They'll there will be, let's say, a week of time, you know, take Passover, I'm Jewish, and people are told, clear your house of everything that you may eat that you're not supposed to be eating. And it's it's rooted in religion, it's rooted in spirituality and God, but it's there's a lot of psychology supporting it where if if you clear those distractions, it'll get you to stay on the path and stick with things you want to do. And you you also share a really great story of of Joe Columby. I'd love to hear that and how that kind of applies to making things easier. Yeah. So the story of of Joe, this was an interesting this was an interesting one of so he finishes up, gets his MBA from Stanford, and then goes and works back in around nineteen sixties and he goes to work for a grocery chain, grocery store chain. Um, and they ask him, they say, okay, go start your own, start this new chain of grocery stores called Pronto. And he starts it up, but but he notices that at the time, there's another new chain of stores that's just taking over everything. And this chain of stores is called 7-Eleven. Uh, 7-Eleven was open 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. So much time, it offered everything people wanted. and Pronto started failing and it's not doing well. And so the Owl Rexall, the the chain that Joe was working for, said, "Okay, let's cut Pronto and we're bringing you back. We're we're done with with Pronto." And Joe says, "No, I'm not going to do that. I'm I'm going out on a limb and I'm going to make this work." So he he goes off on his own. He mortgages his house. He you know raises money himself but still doesn't really know what he's going to do. How is he going to save this grocery store chain? So he, he takes a trip to the Caribbean. And while he's in the Caribbean, he's in this, he's, he's on these islands where you're just sitting there listening to music. You know, you're listening to Calypso and reggae. You're, you're eating nice food. And it's really designed as a luxury vacation spot where you don't do anything. They bring you your food. They bring you your drinks and you just relax. It's designed to make it easy for the tourist. That's where he gets his idea. And he says, I'm going to make it easy for the shoppers to be shopping at my grocery store. So 
in contrast to the trends of let's just offer everything possible to people, he decides I'm going to limit the amount of options people have. Instead of giving them, you know, 15 types of bread, I'm going to give them one or two high quality bread options for, you know, wheat bread or for white bread. Instead of having 10 different types of mustard, I'm just going to give them a couple of choices. And he does this for, for all the different products. And his store ends up becoming a huge success. And, you know, not just picks up then, but it continues to exist today. And the store that we're talking about is Trader Joe's. So named after Joe. And, and that's why the if you go to a Trader Joe's, they still wear their Hawaiian tropical shirts and, and have that same theme because it was modeled after Joe and, and his experience in saving them. It's a great story and it shows how much making things easy really impacts people's behavior. I'd love to look at neurohacks. I, when, I, when I see that or hear that, it, it kind of piques my interest. I'm very curious what it is or what that even means. Yeah, neurohacks is the idea that we can, in our brain, we ha- we're wired to do things a certain way. It's things are ingrained in our brain. And for that reason, a lot of people feel like I can never change. This is just the way I am. This is who I am. And, and that's it. But neurohacks is counter to that. Neurohack says that's not true. The science says that's not true. There are actually things we can do that that can be a switch that just turns on or off parts of your brain, you know, metaphorically, turns your brain to be able to do things that you never were able to do before. So we're typically taught conventional wisdom will say and, and motivational speakers will say if if you want to do something, just visualize it, imagine you can do it, and you can do it. Just keep your mind focused and you will be able to do it. But people keep finding that as much as they try to visualize things, as much as they try to stay on point thinking about something, it just doesn't always work. And so what we've learned in research is that it's actually the opposite. If you want to get yourself to stick with doing something, it doesn't start from the mind. It doesn't start from you telling yourself, willing yourself I want to do this. It actually starts from behavior. It starts from changing your behavior and then your mind will follow. And there's some there's some cool research studies behind this. So there's one where people were split into two different groups and they were so one group both groups were told um, they were going to listen to a series of advertisements. These were, you know, product type advertisements to to get people interested in a product. Half of the group was told they were, you know, put in one area and told, I want you to move your head up and down. So, you know, imagine your chin moving down and then up, down and then up. The other half of the group was told, I want you to move your head side to side. So imagine, you know, moving your chin left to right, left to right. Then afterward, they were asked, each group was asked, how much do you agree with what you heard about the advertisements, about the products? And turned out that the group who was told to move their head up and down said that they agree with the advertisement more than the group told to move it side to side. Now, the only information they were given was just move your head in this direction or that direction, up and down or left and right. But what actually was happening was that the group who was told to move their head up and down, there's, you know, they realized either subconsciously or consciously that this is the action that we take when we are approving of something, when we are saying yes. And so there's there was a lot of kind of 
you know, probably subconscious activity going on where we observe our own behavior and we say, well, if I was nodding, it must mean that I agree with the advertising and that's why they were more likely to agree with it. That's an example of, of how neurohacks is used and, and can be used in that it's actually our behavior that resets our mind and gets our mind to change things. And there are, you know, a number of different examples there. There are some cool ones in there. And I've actually applied this. I gave an example and stick with it of how I applied it on our German shepherd uh, lab puppy at the time to get her to, to be a better listener. I'm so excited to tell you about our sponsor for this holiday season, the incredible organization, The Life You Can Save. I'm sure you get overwhelmed by the countless giving opportunities out there. You feel confused, frustrated, and unsure about what the best thing to do is. When that happens, you often end up making scattered donations to a smattering of random charities with no idea of the real impact you're creating on people's lives. That's why I love the life you can save. You know the focus of the science of success is on being evidence-based. The beautiful thing about the life you can save is that they focus on evidence-based giving, finding, selecting, and curating the most high-impact donation opportunities so that you don't have to do all that hard work. And you can start giving right now by visiting www.thelife.com youcansave.org slash success. That's the life you can save.org slash success. They've already done the homework and they have an incredible, well-curated, compelling list of hugely impactful giving opportunities where your donation will be high leverage and cost effective. Our hearts, relationships, and networks often guide our giving. The resulting donations usually do some good, but rarely as much as we'd like them to do. The Life You Can Save makes it so that you can easily navigate how to make your charitable giving go much, much further. While you may not be as wealthy or successful as Bill Gates, yet, you can still have an enormous impact on the lives of people living in extreme poverty that can experience dramatic improvements in their lives for much smaller donations. Visit thelifeyoucansave.org slash success to find out more and make rational, evidence-based charitable gifts this holiday season. You know, it reminds me of one of my favorite sort of applications or principles of this, which is that action creates motivation and not the other way around, right? And if you've ever had the experience of kind of cleaning, you start to clean your desk or something like that. And then suddenly you wake up like 20 minutes later and you start done all this stuff and been really productive. I've had that same experience that our behavior shapes the way we perceive it. And, and it's often kind of reverse of what people think it is. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, there are not just our behavior, but in the words, there's, there's research behind the, the words that we use actually shape our behavior as well. So for example, there was a study done um, a friend, colleague, graduate a friend of mine when we were in grad school. And he did this study looking at how do we get people to keep voting and does language influence that? And so in one group, people were were questioned and, and told to say, I vote. And in the other group, I'm a voter. So one, the action of I vote 
and the other the the noun or the the identity of I am a voter. And then they later followed up to see in which group would people be more likely to vote. And turned out that having that I am a voter, putting assigning that identity to yourself, um, people were more likely to follow through and actually do it. So it's by doing this behavior or by thinking of yourself as the type of person who does something, and, and that's exactly what happens when you do it. If if you, you know, I'm after this, I'm going to go for a swim, and I go swimming every day, it's, I think of myself as a swimmer because I go swimming every day, and that gets me to keep swimming. Whereas if I just told myself it's important for me to swim, it's less likely to get me to do it than just taking the action and having that change my brain and make me realize I just went for a swim. It must be important to me. I must be able to do this, and I can keep doing it. Another great example you had of a neurohack from from the book was changing your password. Yeah, this was a, a story. This was uh, taken from someone else where he he had been going through a, a rough time. So he was a designer, a, a designer by trade at work, and he had just gone through a divorce and he was not feeling in the best place. He was feeling kind of depressed and down. And he wanted, you know, he just didn't feel like going to work and he would go to work. But, and he decides, I need a change. I need a way of changing my life. And so what he did is, as he's sitting there in that familiar screen flashes on his computer saying, okay, it's time to change your password. He decides, I'm going to use my password to just change myself to save my life here and, and get myself out of this, this drag, this funk. And so he changes his, his password and he changes it to to something that says forgive her number four g i v e and then her and and by typing this word forgive her every day he now had to get himself to think of her type that he was forgiving her and after doing it you know it was difficult difficult at first because it reminded him of her reminded him of his discomfort and sadness, bitterness. But as he kept typing, forgive her, he realized, you know, I haven't changed my password to something else. I've been able to, to stick with this. And ultimately, you know, he was with not very much time. He was able to forgive her, move on. He's remarried now. You know, he's just changed his life around. And he continued with this. He was a smoker and said, I'm going to now change this, use this same neurohack principle for getting myself to quit smoking. And so he changed his password to quit smoking forever. And overnight, he stopped smoking and and his, you know, to last time that I checked with him, he still had not been smoking at all. So I also want to talk about uh, rewards and whether or not they, they work to create behavior change. Yeah, rewards definitely work to create behavior change. Rewards are are really important for getting people to stick with things they want to do or we want others to do. But oftentimes people either simplify it or or they miss they misunderstand, they don't go back to the source of where the idea of rewards came from. So we know rewards work, but that's where gamification came about and and it was, you know, a few years ago everyone was talking about, let's gamify this, let's add game mechanics. But turns out, 
it works for some people and it works sometimes, but you can't just, it's, it's not a, a panacea. And so why not? You know, what's going on here? Well, the, the old research on rewards, which showed rewards work, they were based on training animals like cats or rats. They'd have a um, rats in a cage or cats in a cage. And then they would, the animal would push a lever to be able to get out of the cage and when it did, it would get rewarded. It would get some food. Now, imagine imagine you are in a cage. Someone trapped you in a cage, and you're just sitting there. You can't get out, and you find a way to be able to get out, and then they give you some food for it. Now, that's pretty much one of the best feelings you could ever have. You know, we've I had uh, this morning, I lost my wallet, and I'm like, where the hell is my wallet? And then I found my wallet and it was such a great feeling of finding your wallet, finding my wallet. Now imagine, you know, that just a hundred times more where you're trapped and you're able to get out. That's a real reward. And, and so the research was based on that type of feeling. If we reward people with that type of feeling, it'll get them to just be addicted to doing things and do it over and over again. So rewards definitely work, but we need to figure out which types of rewards are best suited for which individuals and when. So in the captivating chapter, and that's why we call it captivating, because you can't just use any reward. It's got to be one that's truly captivating. And we have a, a short list of, of what those are in Stick With It that talks about what's, what's important for people. So I know that in, in the book, you have a much more detailed sort of framework or analysis for this that, that goes a lot more in depth. But for listeners who want sort of some quick hits or ways to just take what we've talked about today and apply it. If you looked at the the seven forces of behavior change and you look at the three types of behavior, what would be your sort of recommendation for the one or two most impactful strategies for each of the different behavior types? Yeah. So like I said, at first it's important to figure out is something in A, B, or C behavior. And if it's the the simplest thing I'd say, so ideally, you know, People will go out and, and get the book or look at the, the figure from the book and, and use it that way. But just off the cuff here, so easy is would be most important for A and B behaviors. You know, so if there's the example of if I feel like there's digital addiction and I can't keep my phone away from me, then just making it easy by avoiding that distraction put your phone, set it aside for a certain amount of time, put some controls on it so that you can't check email except for the first 10 minutes of every hour, you know, things like that. That'll make it easy for us to stick with things we want to do. And for C behavior, then I would say stepladders and community are, are most important. We didn't go into community, but community is the idea that social support and competition and other people, that that really gets us to stick with things and, and also step ladders. So if there's something that you want to do and it's, it's not working or you've been wanting to do something and it's just not working, start with step ladders. Like I said, one of the things, one of the first things I often do with people is create a calendar and break that, break what you want to do down into steps, goals, and dreams. What's something that you can do today that will move you toward that dream of, of accomplishing what you want to continue doing three months from now. Put together a calendar, go do that thing you want to do today. And then, you know, no matter how small it might seem, be proud of yourself. Reflect back on that achievement. Congratulate yourself in 
whatever way you can reward yourself, you know, whether it's hanging out with friends or a drink or doing something you enjoy doing, congratulate yourself after doing that thing today. That's a good way for people to just get started immediately. And for listeners who want to concretely implement and execute these, what would be the first kind of action step that you would give them to, to begin? Yeah, that's what I'd say make a calendar, figure out. So first step one would be figure out is the behavior you're trying to change, is it an A, B, or C behavior? And then second, go use that figure, look at the figure and stick with it and identify the, the seven forces needed for changing that type of behavior. That's the first thing to do. And then most likely what's going to happen next will be the second thing will be create a calendar for how you can start doing that over time. And for listeners who want to find you, find the book, et cetera, online, what's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, you can go to my website, seanyoungphd.com. On Twitter, I'm seanyoungphd. Also, the book is available online on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore. And you know, the other thing, I, I, I'm a researcher, I'm a medical school professor, I'm an academic. I went into this area because I want to make an impact in the world and really enjoy working with people and helping people. So what I tell people on these podcasts is that, you know, thanks again, Matt, for having me. And I'd love for the listeners, if you have a question, if there's, if you want to connect, reach out to me. I love hearing from people and getting more feedback and in, in connecting with listeners. Well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing all this wisdom and knowledge. A great framework for thinking about how we can really create meaningful behavior change. Thanks for having me, Matt. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created the show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success.